think a lot of businesses are really good when things are good. And it's like, yeah, of course I'll spend this money and I'll have extra perks. But when the economy ever changes, or if there's ever a downturn, it's like, I don't want to be the one that gets cut. People are still going to need to promote their software somehow. And people are still going to want better prices if the economy's down. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Mr. Pickles, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today's show is another Noah's Ark style where we chat with you, the audience, about your business and see what we can do to improve them in real time and report back the results. Apply at okdork.com slash Noah's dash arc and I may feature you in a future episode. In today's show, I talk to my good friend and cycling buddy, Dan Andrews of the Tropical NBA podcast and the Dynamite Circle. Dan and his junior partner, Ian, are doing financially well with their private online community, podcast, and events that they organize. Everything is focused on running a location-independent business. These guys have a lot of things going on, which could be their issue. And then they think that another thing, their new job board, dynamitejobs.co, will be the next, next big thing. It's a common entrepreneur disease to think the next thing will be the big thing. You know what I'm talking about? So in this episode, we explore prioritizing a new game plan for their business, and what Dan is actually going to do next. If you ever wanted to learn about scaling past an already multi-million dollar business, you'll love this episode. In this conversation, you'll enjoy three big things. Uno, why is it better to tell your customers or clients what they want instead of asking them? Dos, what to double down on in your business? And number three, how to stop pipe dreaming of a future successful business and make it happen today. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more goodies along the way. Quick plug, go check out athleticbrewing.com. They didn't pay for this. I just love their stuff. It's non-alcoholic beer. Dan and me drink a ton of alcohol-free beer after our bike rides in Europe. It's becoming super popular over there, and they hooked me up with the code. It's just the word NOAH. I hope it still works. It's 10% off. It's athleticbrewing.com. Check it out. I really like it. Also, a special pre-show shout-out to listener UCSD Sue of USA. He left a review saying, Noah is unstoppable, and I loved the Alan Weiss and Michael Lombardi episodes. Also, UCSD invited me spearfishing, which I'm super down for. Holler at your boy. Thanks again, man. If you guys haven't checked out those episodes, Alan Weiss, which is the Million Dollar Consulting, and Michael Lombardi are two of my favorite ones this year. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave an iTunes review. I check every single one. All right. Can you state your name for the record? Dan Andrews. All right. So we're live in... Can you say where we are, but in the in a proper accent? Barcelona. And then can you say it in an American accent? Barcelona. <laughs> España, Spain. And we are working and biking here for the month. And so I thought it'd be fun to do a Noah's Ark edition of a business case study. Great. I could use the help. I'm not sure we can help you, but we can definitely have some fun. Okay. All right. So how's your day going before we jump into this? It's been great. Yeah, it's great. I'm really glad that we committed to getting an office, like a serious office, so, you know, we work out of Sumo HQ in Austin, Texas, and that's been amazing for our team, even though we're remote, just for the founders to be working together and for people coming by and that sort of creative energy and just the discipline, honestly. So I'm glad that we got an office here in, in Barcelona and that we are still kicking off some projects despite the fact that it's July. A lot of people in the business community go to, they go to sleep, they sort of let it shut down. I thought you were going to say they go to Spain on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I would like to say, first off, thank you guys for being our highest paid tenants in our space, which is sure. free. That's right. I uh, really appreciate that. Yep. Fantastic business decision. Cheers, dude. Yeah, we're really good at this business thing. Cheers. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's jump right in. We got about an hour, give or take of your time. So I know you and Ian 
I heard of you guys. So Tropical MBA, it was this podcast by like two guys who were doing stuff in Asia. Not really sure. I think they made some money on the internet interwebs. And then they had like an online group. And then that's really all I knew of you and Ian. I got to know you guys. And then I was definitely more disappointed once I actually finally met right. you. This is I a common like, reaction. When I finally met. <laughs> oh, wow. It's definitely less impressive. No, but uh, maybe give the, the background of where you, like how you guys got to where you are today. And then we can talk about the, the business problem and, and some of the things around it. Yeah. Ian and I were originally product guys. We were manufacturing in China guys. So we worked in like a service manufacturing company and me and him were besties. And we were like, dude, if we want to build our own wealth, we're going to have to have our own products. We can't like do what our clients are saying every single time. So on the side with an investor, we decided to start building cat furniture. So pet furniture, mobile cocktail bars. We would look on like SEO kind of like, uh, you know, how you can like do research on how many people are searching a month and stuff. And we would say like, what products out there do people need that we could make and we could make really well? And so we built a business off of that. We had 15 employees and we did this for years. And the Tropical MBA thing came along when... Before we jump into that, and I do think that this is relevant. One thing is that you guys had day jobs making products for some other yes. person. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you try to ask him to make these products or say, hey, let's do it together? He was our third partner. Oh, so he said, go and do it yourself. We rocked into the boardroom and we're like, hey, you know the same, recognize all the same problems that we do with this business. We're proposing a solution which is that you know Ian had a unique background, which is he studied industrial design, which is how to make products. And he was a professional at it. And I'd been doing this for a few years now and sort of we all started to collectively see this light of, man, we really need to do products. These bespoke services where we're making 100 units for X demanding customer. What were you guys making? Things like uh, point of purchase displays. So one of our biggest clients was Petco. So, you know, Caesar Milan new, had a new product line coming out. And so there's a thousand Petco stores and you got to make a thousand different racks that hold these products. It's, it's called a point of purchase display. It's a, it's a rack that's in a store. And so we would create these things one off. And then the client, first off, they'd hold you over the coals. Your profit margin would be tight. You have to manage a bespoke project, launching a specific design to a thousand different stores. And then at the end of the project, it's like, great. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Maybe. <laughs> and we walked into the boardroom of the owner of this company and we said, look, this is a problem we have to solve. If we want to build personal wealth, instead of being on the hamster wheel every year with this company, I mean, he was a true entrepreneur. He was really cool. I consider him a mentor. We said, we need to build our own products. And here's some ideas. This, this guy, Ian, he has ideas. Look at him. Like, let's go build them and let's all take an equity share in it together. And this will be our side project. It's definitely interesting because I think most people would say, let's quit and try to do it or do a side hustle. And you actually went to your boss and said, let's do it together. I don't think know if people realize from your guys' journey was that it started before drop shipping or making stuff in China was as common as today, where you can literally go online, search something, buy it and have it at your house pretty quickly. You guys were one of the, in like probably 10 years ago, give or take, something like that. Yeah, it was 2005, 2006. We were starting to think of this stuff. The infrastructure simply didn't exist. I mean, you couldn't put up an e-commerce store on WordPress. It's insane. Like you need a developer to yeah, build up an e-commerce totally. store, let alone like third-party fulfillment and all this kind of stuff at that scale. I mean, we would rely. In fact, like the, the whole thing depended on the network of our mentor, of our boss. You know, we were like, hey, you've built this company that's of substantial size and was doing really well at the time thanks to the real estate boom. But it was still a hamster wheel. That's the thing. Sometimes I question entrepreneurs who are building these big service companies. Like, what's your end game here? Like to maybe make $300,000 a year and have to manage 35 employees and to make sure it all happens again next year. You know, we were really drinking this product Kool-Aid. Like we want to have our own IP. We want to build our own stuff. And we've got the infrastructure right here funded by the service business. So let's use it. 
and build something that's going to grow us a great deal of personal wealth in the long run. I think where I want to transition to some of the, the problem that we'll solve today, you guys had this going, it eventually did well, someone bought it, you guys made money. Yep. You, in the interim, you started sharing your journey, which became the, the Tropical MBA podcast. Correct. And then you built an online group called Dynamite Circle. Correct. Which was like a, a paid group for people who were living a similar lifestyle, which was kind of more nomadic or remote. Yeah. The whole reason we started the podcast was we felt super alone. Like we didn't know anybody who was building a location independent business. And our, I think at the time we thought that was legit. So there was people that were like online talking about making money and about how you can too. And I think we can all kind of imagine who those people were. And we felt like, no, we have like cat furniture. We are legit. <laughs> like we, we can't like that advice doesn't apply to us. Like we have this thing that we see as a real company, you know? And so we started sharing that journey and we started meeting all these entrepreneurs coming out of the woodwork saying, I know it's crazy. I like, I sell stuff online too, or I have this service that does this. And all these people came out of the woodwork. And so we started hosting events and parties. And then the idea was like, you have to have a business like this in order to come to the parties. And so it's not like you're coming to the party to like learn the next technique or to network or anything like this. It's like to meet people that have done the same crazy unique thing that have you that you've done. And that was sort of the seeds of the dynamite circle. And that was the idea behind the podcast really is like when we started the Tropical MBA, there was no podcast or blog about a physical products business that was location independent. Straight up. So we just had to start it. But I think what, one thing I want to understand is that you guys were running your e-commerce store at that time, and this wasn't necessarily helping you sell your product. So what was the point of it? Just something that was a hobby? Or was the plan to make that a future business? It was like one of those times on the internet. Do you remember like 2006, like Zen Habits started blowing up and like Seth Godin started getting in the, and 37 Signals was writing about their business. And it just felt like something too good not to be a part of. It felt like this insight that you could build wealth from anywhere in the world while running a company was so novel that to like be a part of the conversation about it just felt like a natural thing. I did have a vision that it could become a business when I saw a few other online communities pop up that were more about like making money online. They were very focused on new people, entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And I just thought, man, I think there's a really a space for people that are legit. That was sort of like the seed in my head. Because it's interesting. I think most people, like 37 Signals or a lot of these guys that are writing, it complements their main business, right? Like they're using that channel as a direct and you actually were not. Correct. When did you guys start making money on the Tropical MBA? It was late 2011. So how many years after you started it? So it started in July 2009. Oh, so quite a while. Quite a while. And by the way, we, we this was those days when we were scared to mention our niches. Like we never said the word valet podium, which is one of the most popular products. We couldn't say it. We did an episode like many years later where we finally like admitted to what we had been like secretly producing all of these years because, you know, it was early days. We didn't know like what was happening. You know, we didn't know if people would, we were scared people would steal our ideas. So you've been doing it 10 years. And then for the people doing the math, they have two business units right now. If I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, you have the online community, which is about a thousand people, give or take, and they pay 500 bucks a year. Yeah. Okay, so everyone can do the math. That's about $400 a year that they make. Yes. <laughs> After, we have 11 staff members. So. 11 staff members. Okay, so they, they do, I meant, I was trying to do stupid math, but the joke fell. It's a good joke. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I just, working better. Sometimes you can, I mean, it's, it's a rye joke, you know? All right, so hon, 1,000 times 500 is 500,000? 
Did I do that right? Yeah, it's good enough. Oh, okay, good. And then you have a podcast who gets sponsored. Correct. And that's somewhere in the few thousands, five to six figures a year yeah. around that business as well. The other area of the business, which is absolutely critical, is our events business. Is that profitable? What's the... Yes, it's profitable and we have sponsors as well. Okay. So for example, we'll sell over 300 tickets to our Bangkok event, which is an annual event. So you have three different, you have events, online, and podcasts. What's the breakout of the, don't share the exact numbers unless you want to, but what's the breakout of that revenue for you guys as a business unit, as a business? I don't know off the top of my head. This is a ballpark. I think this is actually where it's interesting. So the events, probably you're looking at like ballpark, a quarter million to 300,000, somewhere around there, extra. If you want to share the numbers, you can. I think I was more curious just percentage-wise. Like of the revenue you guys generate, like how much comes from an event, how much comes from the podcast, how much comes from the online community. That's interesting. I'm almost tempted to say like from a profitability perspective, they're all about even. So it's interesting because it's the revenue percentage, but also which one is the most profitable for you guys to be doing? Yeah. I mean, sponsorships are easily the most profitable. Sponsorships in the podcast or in the events? Both. I consider sponsorships to be like one functional business area and I don't split it out to, from event to, because we roll it all up together because the clients want the same sort of thing, which is great clients. They want good customers. They want exposure. So in that way, they don't value necessarily. Like, yeah, I, I look at it all as ad inventory. Let's try to ballpark it. So we have like 40% from the event, 40% from the online community, and then maybe 20% from the podcast sponsorship. That sounds fair. It's interesting because you guys then created a, a fourth kind of business unit. And I guess one thing I'm curious about is, is there any thought to increasing what the, one of those three that you already had? Yeah. The significant change we made over the last three years is adding sponsorships, which is something I personally resisted for a long time because I thought what was different about our community was that it was cool. It was legit and going out and, you know, in some ways, like when, when we've done thought experiments about how to build the business, we thought, Part of the problem with building our business is that it shares a lot more in common with private clubs than it does with businesses. And so sponsorships is like the first revenue stream that sort of came in that looks a lot different from that kind of private club atmosphere that we've always worked to create. One thing that's been in my mind is that do you guys think you should be bigger in terms of the amount of people you're reaching? And I know you guys are pretty sizable. Most people have heard of you guys, you, you and Ian and the Tropical MBA or Dynamite Circle, the online group. You know, for me, you guys have been doing this for over 10 years consistently, and there wasn't really that much content out there. Do you think you guys should be like the only destination, not the only, but like the leading destination? Or maybe you are, and I'm, I'm ignorant to that. I don't think much about that. I mean, the one thought that was like very specific that I had about that was I've noticed like over the years that our brand has held us back, that the fact that it's Tropical MBA, like some of our like most loyal listeners are sort of delighted that they overcame like the sort of get rich quick vibe of the brand. Traditionally, I had like a palm tree, like tropical MBA living on a beach somewhere. And when you get to the inside, you realize, oh, like this is where like the folks who are running like significant businesses like end up at the event to meet each other, you know, because you listen through the episodes and you realize that I feel like there's a lot of substance to what we're talking about. We're trying to focus on stories of legit entrepreneurs, like I said. So to answer your question is I do think the brand has held us back. Yeah. Like I saw it with Mark Manson, for example. It's a case study that sticks in my head, which is he used to run a website called Post Masculine. And his work had weight and quality, and he was a great writer. And no one would share that they uh, were reading Post Masculine. That they were reading Post Masculine. And so he changed it to markmanson.net. And, and it was like just good timing with like the Facebook algo at the time. And he absolutely blew up. I heard um, an entrepreneur that's been coming to our events for years. He said he's the only events he'll never, never miss. And I remember he was on the Tim Ferriss podcast one time. And Tim Ferriss was like, what uh, podcast would you recommend? 
that our listeners listen to. And you could just hear him pause and like consider the ramifications of telling so many people that he was a huge fan of tropical MBA and this private cult called Dynamite Circle, whatever, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. you could just tell that like the branding like made him think on the biggest stage that like, I might not share this thing that has changed my life with other people because of the way it looks. That's something to consider. I haven't answered your question, I guess. Which one? The question about whether or not we feel we should be bigger. It would be nice, but I don't dwell on that too much. It might be the case that the way we present our content just doesn't have mass appeal. I mean, it is very niche. It's very insider. It might not be of that much interest to people who aren't doing the style of business, which isn't a lot of people. I think the consideration there is that what do you guys want internally? And that's something we talked about, our like internal compass versus external compass. Yeah. With your guys' overall business, it's interesting because you wanted to get out of the wheel. And I wonder if you guys are a little bit in a wheel now with the kind of business that you guys are running. What's a wheel? Well, the wheel that you were talking about when you were bespoke to the customers of creating products for them versus creating products for yourself and having more scalability around what you're doing. 100%. Because it almost, I guess, kind of seems like, I don't know if you've come back 180 around to that. I feel different than a service business in the sense that I feel like with the podcast, we have the opportunity to be who we are and to have an integrity about the art that we create every week. And that's the paramount drive of the podcast. The podcast could support itself and be our only business if we wanted it to be. So the community is something that we do for fun. It's really interesting. It's profitable. We get to access to all these amazing minds and stuff, but it's not quite a business. And that is the frustration. And that's why we started a new business because when we got rid of the product business, I think we both felt that part of our musculature of like being business owners, of being entrepreneurs was sort of gone. We didn't have a platform anymore to be entrepreneurs because we didn't have a scalable idea or system or team. What we had was an amazing community, sponsors, and an artistic outlet. You know, that's very different from having a business that scales, that inspires you as an entrepreneur. Often people will say, well, why don't you turn the community into a business or whatever and treat it more that way? And we never came across anything that was appealing enough to change what, what is so special to us. Like we love going to those events, you know, I look forward to it all year long. So with the business you guys have, you have 40% from events, 40% podcasts or 40% events, 40% your community membership, and then 20% podcast or so. Why not try to double one of those instead of creating the job section, which is what we're going to talk about today? We don't see it as particularly scalable. We also don't see it as a business we want to run. We don't want to be professional gurus. We don't want to be professional events hosts. The sort of more obvious paths to us to how people grow those sorts of businesses don't appeal to us, not only from like a day-to-day -day work, like founder fit situation, but also from a potential situation. Like we've already grown a multi-million dollar business. Like we'd like to put something in the fire that has the potential to be much bigger than that. And so what ideas did you reject on the way to choosing jobs? And then how did you guys come to that decision to, to do that as the next thing? The basic strategy behind building a, a job service was that by being around all these entrepreneurs, we noticed how many people were having enormous successes by using our community as like a Petri dish. And they like launch these little ideas. And if you have like a thousand early adopters adopt your product, and then you assume, well, you know, this private community is like such a difficult product to purchase and get value out of and figure out where it is. There's got to be like 10x that number of founders outside somewhere, you know, that can see a more legible product. Like, how do I improve my Amazon product listing? Or how do I get my website to rank higher in Google or whatever? So we've seen this community be used as like this Petri dish time and time again by really successful founders. And that was sort of the basic strategy of how we started to like take a look at different business ideas. 
The one idea that I've really wanted to do that I just cannot get past the board of directors was this idea of like, there's this Petri dish of service companies presenting deals to each other in the community. And a lot of times, like the best parts of our community come from like the things that frustrate us within it, you know, like, oh, there's so many people like trying to sell their stuff in here. Like, of course we don't allow that, but it's like a frustration. Like how can we help them to sell more? And so we created this thing called Dynamite Deals where service companies would like basically bend over backwards to bring on on board a whole bunch of new customers, like present a loss leader that was like clear in a, a way like this amazing deal. But it was also like a place where like a lot of goodwill projects happened, you know, where people would like give away a underperforming website that they didn't want in their portfolio anymore. It's like, hey, a number, another member, how about you just come and take this? And I always thought like, what if we made that public? You know, what if there was a way for service companies to like populate their client Rolodexes and stuff like that? And it seems like a complicated and messy idea, but I know that, you know, with this strategy, you know, I've done the napkin math that there's X amount of revenue going through that already that like happens underneath our watch. What if we just, you know, made it public? This is the same idea behind the sponsorship idea is like we knew that people would sort of try to use the community to like get visibility for their products at events and things. So why don't we make that a clearly legible product that they can purchase? Same thing happened with jobs. It turned out that we started having problems at some of our events where people were essentially like with these really successful runaway companies like AppSumo would, would start coming. I'm not saying you guys did this, but like companies like that, they're growing fast, found that the community was such an enormously powerful filter for the types of people they wanted to hire. And so not only would they go to events trying to convince entrepreneurs to join their team instead, but that once they developed their teams, they would start wanting to bring their teams to the events to indoctrinate them into like this community of entrepreneurs that think a certain way. So we thought, well, if we do have a special vibe around here, perhaps we can make that publicly legible and have a much bigger platform rather than a private one. So that's essentially the strategy behind Dynamite Jobs to say, there's already a, you know, over a thousand people who find this valuable as a hiring platform. Can we make it public in a way that's scalable, that keeps the value proposition and that profits from it. What's interesting with community and I, is that I, I thought of Craigslist as the first thing that came to mind where they have a community of people as well. And they used to have certain things free. And then over time, they've like closed the clamp where now even posting things for sale has some prices. Like Ian was telling me that cars for sale now, you have to pay five bucks to list a car. Yeah. And so it's just kind of interesting where you want to squeeze the money because like i was thinking about yelp and some of these types of businesses which how much money are they generating for other companies that they're not getting shit from yeah and so you guys have did jobs and you, you came up with the, how long did it take from idea to actually launching the product i don't recall it couldn't have been more than a week or two i mean because it was just a wordpress theme it was a moment when we decided to like break out that category of posts to publish them publicly instead of privately and then did you charge people right away or no no so the the strategy started with and has always been if you are a dynamite circle member you get to post on dynamite jobs for free so the idea was not to squeeze our community members but to endorse their asset publicly to publicize it and use that as the engine that builds a community around this idea of remote jobs so the asset that we saw was okay you got a thousand members each of them owns a company if let's say half of those companies are populated by freelancers the other half have like full and part-time employees so now all of a sudden, let's say each company averages like 2.5 hires a year across the board or whatever. Now you're doing the math 500 times 2.5. You got 2,500 annual jobs that we can harvest. And if we can publish them publicly, we'll build a community of candidates that want those sorts of jobs and we'll eventually create a marketplace that we can charge others for access to. 
This was the fundamental strategy that inspired Dynamite Jobs. Did it take off the way you wanted it to? Yes. Oh, did I thought you were going to say no. Well, this is where we're going to get to the problem. It took off like wildfire. It was relatively easy to harvest jobs from our members. They have a need to hire people. I've never grown a website that was so fast in, in my life. It was exciting. Like the traffic was doubling every week. The amount of opt-ins that we got. We have more mailing list subscribers for our job site in less than a year than we had at the Tropical MBA podcast after 10 years of a basketball arena worth of people listening to our podcast. You know, it's just stunning. And now as we sit here, we have tens of thousands of email subscribers. We have over 8,000 candidates that have filled out profiles, not just subscribers, but like have filled out essentially like resumes so that we can help place them with companies. So in terms of um, traditional like online metrics for success, it's been like nothing I've ever been a part of. It's been really exciting. Like traffic's great, you know, opt-ins are great. People want what's on this website. The problem that we're having is that we can't figure out a product market fit. Like we can't figure out like something that people want to consistently pay for, at least in the short term. I guess the overall strategy that's been lurking in the background and that's a little bit non-falsifiable is that when it comes to marketplaces, that at some point there's a tipping point that the market's like decides that there's enough volume there that it's a no-brainer to go to Dynamite Jobs that I trust, in other words, that if I pay X amount to post there, that I'm going to get the types of candidates I want and that I don't need to go around and post everywhere else as well. One thing that you guys did that I want to highlight that I think is really interesting is that I've noticed for myself or other businesses, they're not taking advantage of what they already have access to or what their network is or what their customer base is or what their knowledge is. And I thought it was really interesting that you guys said, hey, we have this audience of people who are hiring. This is one of their key problems. How do we just extend helping them for this? And then maybe we can actually monetize that as another way of scaling our business. Yeah. Which I think is a, is a really smart thing. So you guys launched it. You didn't charge anything. How much money are you making today? In the first six months of 2018, we have made $10,678. In 2018 or 2019? This is 2019 year to date. And the date is July 17th. Okay, so you guys made 10678 bucks. Yeah. How much money do you think you've spent on it? Salaries, surfer, servers? Over 100000 That's a lot of money. Yeah. Can I have $100,000? <laughs> All right, so you guys have a... I mean, that sounds like not very accessible, maybe, for some people. For some people, it sounds like a joke. But, but like, you know, like those staff members ostensibly might have been working for like the community, but we're like siphoning off their energy. So there's a real question of how much money we've cashed out versus... You know how you do that in an organization where you like put some people in the skunk works, you know, but they're actually getting paid from the other company? No, I don't know. No, I know what you mean. I think what's interesting on that, on, to that point is like, frankly, what's the best ROI? That's why I asked you earlier, like, what's the easiest thing to double? And you said nothing. So you're starting something new. Correct. Which you're not even making a return. You're 10% ROI. Yeah. So you're negative. Correct. What's the timeline to actually get break even? Because you guys have 100 jobs and you've made $10,000 or 122 jobs you've placed. Right. How are you thinking about breaking even? Because I feel like for me, when I'm starting any business, like that to me is almost like product market fit is, can I make enough money to cover the cost of what the fuck I'm doing so I don't have to worry about it? Yeah. Our hope is that we can be cash flow neutral by December of this year. Let's break through the economics of that. How do you get an extra, is it 100,000 for the first six months? No, no. So that's the thing is like, we've been running the, the site for like a year and a half. Okay. So how much money do we need to make in the next six months? We need to get to a point where the business is consistently bringing in like $7,500 to $10,000 a month in order to fund the sort of operation that we want to have. So that's really the what we have in our mind. 
So that's what I want to I want to pinpoint on. I still think there's another discussion for another day about like, is this really the best use of your money and time? Because I'm not sure if it is. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it, it is probably either expanding the podcast or expanding the community. Like the people who are already paying you $500 a year would pay you an extra 500 for and you'd literally go from 500,000 to a million without having to do anything else. Why would we want to do that? Why would you want to grow your business? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as this. It's like you're trying to... <laughs> no, because I see it as different because what I'm talking about doing is like getting ourselves involved in a game that has like a different character of outcomes. So like I'm talking about being able to grow like a 10 or $15 million business versus like doubling a business that we already have. So to me, like you do different things based on what the goal is. And our goal is to have a stick in the eight-figure fire. I mean, recruiting is is probably a nine-figure fire. And I think you have a great point, which is like, there's not a limit to the scope of that. Maybe there's a limit you believe to the scope of your memberships. Yes. But how many will, will come in? At least in, the way, at least in the way we run them now. I think what's concerning for me is that you guys are currently like in July, how much are you going to do this month? Probably 3K. And on the current directory, if like you guys don't change much, like where do you think you'll be at the end of the year? Do you think you'll be at the 10K? Yes. And then so what specifically are you going to do to change that? And then how do the economics work for that 3K? It's like, I, do I pay to post a job like AppSumo or Sumo.com? I feel like we've been slow to iterate and we're getting better at like trying to put new products in front of the visitors and things. So where we're at right now is that we are charging not weird, like giving net terms. So like zero upfront to post to like help define a job scope and all that. And then we charge based on the salary level that you ultimately hire at. That's what we're testing at right now. So for example, we've recently helped place like executive level remote workers and teams. Our current price point for that is 1997 for someone that's making, I don't know the exact number, it's like over $7,000 a month. So that's like executive level. You guys charge 2000 for that? Yeah. Or do you charge a percentage? We charge 2000 flat right now. That's what we're testing. Okay, let's take a step back. So you're making 3000 this month. Where's that coming from? From these percentages or from like a posting fee? Uh, it's coming from people that have hired off of their job posts. Then we charge them after the fact $500 for having hired somebody off of our site. So you've helped hire six people this month or in the previous months? Six people that are not Dynamite Circle members. Yes. Okay. So six people who are not Dynamite Circle members posted jobs, hired people. Yes. How long ago? Within the first six months of the year. You guys are trying to create like a really bad business. Is that what you guys are trying to like? Is this like <laughs> what, a, show, a case study? What's bad about it? Well, so let's walk through why it's bad. So one, you're waiting for them to, to tell you if they've hired someone or not, right? That's a bad part. So you it. have no idea if they've hired or not. You're, you're trusting them to do it. Correct. Secondly, you're getting money way later yeah. in the whole scheme of things. Correct. And the amount of money has to be disproportionate if you're going to be waiting that long. Like for a real estate agent, they'll work with you for six months because they're going to make a you know, potentially five to $40,000 paycheck. But you guys are making 500 to maybe 2,000 bucks. I think you guys are already committed to a plan, which is always hard with certain businesses. I think you guys are like, here's our plan. That's why coming on the show, we have to, we have to break you free from the I'm, chain. I'm happy to free. So be free. If your goal is 10,000 a month, let's just try to break it down into what we could actually do in one month. Okay. So it's, it's mid-July to mid-August. I think you have to reverse both those equations. And then I want to understand one thing before we jump into that. But it's like, how do we get the money now? Like, if you think about the AppSumo model, and that I know that one relatively well, and, and the leader of it, Eamon, is, is a DC member. Mm-hmm. He came through DC. We get the money up front, and then we pay it 60 days later. Right. Same as like Geico and an uh, insurance company. They get all the money up front and invest the shit out of it, and then maybe you get injured and they pay it out You know, when you finally are able to win. So before we jump into how we can maybe change the model and experiment with it in the near term, who have been the people that have been hired through your guys' market? So I think that's one thing that, you know, I, there are remote online job boards, which I won't mention. 
You can mention them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we work remotely and yep. there's like customer. There, I think where some of the opportunity is like there's like very specific like dribble for designers. There's customer support ones that we've hired through. There's we work remotely a little bit more developer centric. Yeah. Who has been hired through your guys' job board? Yeah. Typically, our sweet spot seems to be entry to mid level operation, customer support, and marketing positions. If you had to pick one, like I, literally today, you could only do one from now on, which one would it be? I think I would be tempted to choose marketing professionals, people who can grow your business affordably, people who can do things like funnels or Facebook campaigns and things like that. Let's even go more narrow. Within the marketing uh, activities, what, what is it? Is it landing pages? Is it Facebook ads? Is it like Amazon listings? Is it just like operational work? I'm tempted to want to like backpedal and say, oh, if, if I really just had to choose one position, I might double back on the marketing thing and say something like apprentice or operations or right-hand person. So like a junior associate kind of people? Yeah. So kind of like one step above an intern? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we literally just hired one at Sumo. Uh, he's in Malaysia. His name's Sean. And that's mm-hmm. exactly it. He's paid as a, you know, apprentice and he's going to learn a shit ton. And then he's going to escalate like Dean. Dean's now helping run our marketing. Right. Two, three years ago, Dean started out in that role. My sense is that typically like our target clients, like they don't have big enough teams that you would just hire like one person to do. So if you were to say like, let's choose something in marketing, it would be a freelancer part-time thing. For example, like a client that we have that doesn't have some sort of social media marketing needs or like copywriting needs or those sorts of things. It sounds like what's lacking to me is the clarity on like what specifically you guys can have some differentiation on that you're, you can win. Yeah. Like Dribble, you're never going to beat Dribble finding a designer. You'll never be better than that. Right. At least for remote or freelance designer work. Like, where do you guys have an advantage? Do you have an advantage that you have a podcast of listeners who are running businesses or freelancers? Yep. And you have an advantage in a community of a thousand people who have actual businesses with money to spend. No one else has that. That just you. Correct. Specifically, let's say we want to stick with this job board thing. Like, I'm trying to think if I had to start it today, what could I do that would be simple and like profitable instantly? Right. I think you guys have put a lot of different things in place where it's like we have pages and then we have all the, you know, people can list for free and we have all these candidates. We have all these emails, but we don't have any profit. And so I think how do we reverse the equation where we're actually profitable instantly? And then we know that we can scale that. I think that's where yeah, I like that. a lot of businesses personally, I think, have made a lot of mistakes. Like at the AppSumo, I think we made it really, it was great. I didn't spend any money. I literally was like, let me go find a deal. I posted on Reddit. I got a bunch of people to buy it. I paid them out via PayPal to the partner. I sent the things manually, the codes. And then after that, I was like, oh shit, I should probably build a website. And then I expanded out versus I think with some of our businesses after the fact, We've spent like hundreds of thousands and then we've had to try to hopefully recoup that investment. If we had to start it today, knowing what you've known from all this stuff, just starting fresh, what could we do that would make it profitable today? Let's go down that road. Can I name one more vague hope of an advantage real quick that I think is hurting us? I think we see in the marketplace that these positions like sales and engineering have like very early days been like broken out from the organization and there's like a well-established sort of like remote hiring space for those positions but like sort of the rest of the organization we feel like no one really does that well like ops people like customer service people like marketing people but you're right like that's not legible right now it's not even necessarily happening right now it's like a small community of companies that are sort of getting hot about that so that's a vague hope that i think might be leading us off the profitability trail Another thing that I've observed from my own experiences and just other companies is that they tend to solve the non-critical problems. Yeah. And then they're like, I don't know why my business is not doing well. I need help with marketing or I need help with sales. And I'm like, no, neither of those will help you. It's just you're not doing anything that anyone cares about. If you think about early on when you sold your first memberships to the DC, how were those first memberships to sell? Let's say it on the count of three. Is it easy or hard on the count of three? 
one, two, three. Easy. easy. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> and it was easy yeah. because you said, hey, we're going to have an elite exclusive membership of people curated that you will not have access to anywhere else. Yeah. And people are like, fuck, yes, I want that. And I will pay you for it. Yes. This is why I'm here on this podcast. Because <laughs> I want that. I need that right now. Because I'm doing my thing right now. I'm doing what I believe, but I'm not doing what people want. Most of that is how to make it fulfilling and enjoyable for yourself. And I think for yourself, which is a whole other episode, is like you enjoy the content creation, the community aspect building. Yeah. That's kind of where I, originally I started out with like, well, how do we do more of that purpose and that time allocation versus like, let's create a new business unit to try to be like a job board. Yeah. I think the WeWork Remotely guys are actually interesting because they're aggregating verticals around specific niche jobs. What does that mean? Well, they have bought different job boards like the Designer News and they bought uh, WeWork Remotely and a few other other ones. And so it's like kind of that group has bought specific verticals around yes. jobs. Well, let's start it today. So we have nothing, you have no history of a job board. It's not even called Dynamite Jobs. Okay. It's called Noah's Jobs. And <laughs> we have to make it profitable today. And one thing I'm trying to get to is if you had to go to 10 of your you know, people that you think are hiring or you know you can go to their jobs pages and frankly see that they're hiring, who in your DC would you go to or your podcast listeners and what job would you hire for them and how would you charge them so that they would be excited? I never sell anyone personally. I'm like, yo, this is what you need. And they're like, Agreed. God, let me give you money. I would much prefer to do business that way. For sure. I agree with that. I mean, I think what people would be excited about is if you had the person with you and I walked up to you and they were like kind of ready made to contribute to your business. And like you knew it when you talked to him. Like, so I say, Noah, this is Paulina. She's been studying Facebook conversion funnels for two years. And like she knows what you guys are doing. Like, and if you were just to hire her for like $1,500 a month, like she could probably double what you guys are up to. And you get to talk to her a little bit. And you're like, man, I'd, be, I'd love to pay Paulina $1,500 a month. Like that's a no brainer. But the problem for you might be like, if you don't know who Paulina is, like you got to like write that down. You got to tell people what you're doing. But the great thing about Paulina, she already knows what AppSumo is doing. She already knows how she can contribute. And all you got to do is like pay her. That would be sick, right? I would love that. There's just like so many things I would love to invest in, but I'm not investing in them because I have to like figure out what they are. I have to write them up. I have to find the people and all that stuff. Okay. And so there are many different circles of that within your community that you can serve them for. And I think that's a hard part. I think sometimes when I start a business, I go either really broad to sample the buffet to see what actually I, I enjoy, or I'm just like, I'm going to start sp very specific and see if that makes a difference. And so with that role, like what's a company specifically you can go to today and ask them like, hey, I see you, you don't have someone doing this. I will bring someone to you. It's like 1500 bucks a month for six months. Or it's potentially full. Is it more part-time or is it more functional, like a specific function? 1500 bucks a month for the everything would be fine. But if it's 1500 bucks a month for our company for making the connection, it would have to be someone more of an executive level or a fractional executive or something like that. Does that make sense? Yes and no. I mean, I think what's interesting is that I think you've identified that it's easier for you to hire and help lower level roles or various job specific roles versus necessarily executive recruiting roles. I think you could do all of it. I think what's one is frankly more desired and which one you can do. And then that part in the middle is what you guys focus on. Yeah, you're right. I'm not willing to say that just yet. I mean, I know you're not. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it, it ends up that we're better at the executive stuff. So let, let me challenge this. Here's maybe what we can do for the next 30 days. Then we come back uh, somewhere mid-August. Okay. My thought for you, frankly, is like, how do you make $10,000 in the next 30 days? I mean, you guys have companies making easy seven figures. Yeah. Like you have AppSumo, you have, you know, Empire Flippers, like name a few, like Jungle Scout, who else is like, even smaller companies. Like Greenback Tax Services. Yeah, I love those guys. You have Nate Ginsburg. You have a bunch of different people up in the mix. Travis Jameson with Sassicorn. And yeah. you can just listen to our sponsors that are typically uh, quite 
meaningful size companies. Yeah, there's a Rolodex there for sure. If you think about hiring and recruiting today, there's different ways that it goes, it goes about, right? Like number one way of hiring is through referrals. It's like, number one way is like, hey, here's people that are already in your company that are already been vetted through someone they've worked with. Number two is your customer base. So who's already that like buys and loves your stuff or listens to your show? You know, then there's like, okay, now I have to extend beyond that, which is where it gets challenging. And that method is still really inefficient right? I have to think about it. I have to post a job. I have to put out the job. I have to filter through the people. And it's still a big pain in my ass. Totally. There are stuff like Fiverr, right? Where you can kind of get somebody in some random place to maybe do an okay template of your Facebook ads or your landing page. My question for you specifically is in the next 30 days, like how would we get $10,000 from your members or from, which I think would be easier than trying to get it from people that are not part of the community? that they would be excited to pay you for, for you to help bring them someone. If you believe that jobs and helping people fill their jobs is, is the thing you want to spend time on. Right. I can answer the question easier without hiring. Oh, what's the question? Without, give it to me without, without hiring. I would launch a new sponsorship product for DCBKK and our podcast that would give them some amazing exposure. You could sell it two for 5,000. So why don't you do that? Because it's a lot of work and it doesn't like get us closer to our goals. Like I'm not just trying to... What's your goal? Our goal is to create a business with a great deal of upside, create like some, an idea that extends. I think where most people neglect when they th- say that, hey, look, if you're going to work eight hours a day, why not work in a market that's bigger? Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a, a flip side of that, which is most people want that, but then they never get it there because they're not actually getting something that people want versus I'm like, just get something to see if people get fucking excited to pay you for. Yeah. If you want to stick with jobs, fine. But if you think it's 5,000, you can do 10,000 in a month and it's something that can be consistent. There's potential for scale there. But if it's jobs related, what else could you, so what could you do? One thing we could do is we could go to these larger companies and say, we will actually take care of all of your hiring needs in the next year. And we'll do that for you for the first client to take us on on this. We'll do it for you for $2,500 a month. We'll take over your remote HR. So, you know, all you need to do is like, pay us quarterly like and we're here to like scale with your growth and what we're going to help you to do is like identify the talent you need we're going to work with you to onboard them to articulate to the marketplace like what types of jobs you need we're going to take care of things like health insurance considerations we're going to be your plug and play hr solution and maybe the $2500 a month doesn't work you'll have to like charge per seat or something like that but you could be like a co-working space in the cloud right this idea that you don't need an HR team, you don't need like to worry about hiring. We will take care of your staffing for you. Okay. There's two thoughts I had there. One, I like where you're going, which is pay me up front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. With a promise of value that's significantly higher than that. And the second thing is that you don't have to worry about something. So a, a recent example for myself is my buddy Adam was like, hey, if you ever need developers, I have the best in the world and let me know. And so I hit him up and I said, all right, well, I didn't believe him. This is this week. And I said, here's my here's the code challenge for Sumo. And let's see what you got. And the guy got it back to us in a day and it was really good. And he's like, all right, it's 10,000 a month for this developer. And I'm like, where are they in the world? He's like, it's South America. I was like, dude, 10,000 a month? Like that's how much it costs for someone in America. He's like, I mean, the quality is the same. What makes a difference? And so there's something appealing that I didn't have to do almost any of the work. And it's just, a, it's like kind of like an e-commerce transaction at that point. All right. So what if I went to you and said, what sort of person, if they were in your business tomorrow, would make an enormous difference for your company right now? Let me just highlight two things. And I will tell you. Number one, I don't want to take you fully off the path that you guys are on. But the path you're on, there's clear inefficiencies that you guys are doing that I think if you stick with it for the next five years, 
maybe three, it'll get to something significant potentially. Yeah. I think there are ways to get it there sooner with something more valuable and more impactful. I agree with you. That's my only suggestions of what we're going That's to That's why I'm but. subjecting myself to this. I agree. I 100% agree. Yeah. And then the second part is that I always, always try to consider recession. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of businesses are really good when things are good. And it's like, yeah, of course I'll spend this money and I'll have extra perks. But when the economy ever changes or if there's ever a downturn, it's like, I don't want to be the one that gets cut. Right. And so for me, it was like AppSumo. It's like, well, people are still going to need to promote their software somehow. And people are still going to want better prices if the economy's down. Yep. And so with hiring, I don't I think hiring will almost always be there in some capacity, especially for the best. Especially for remote. Especially for remote. So I would say in our company, what are the roles we need right now? So in AppSumo, they I believe the biggest hires that they need are a developer. So if there could be a developer, and then I believe a business development person. So someone to help them get more deals. So those would be the two key ones for them right now. And then in Sumo and then SendFox, right now it's a developer as well. Okay. And are any of these positions remote? Yeah, they're all open to being remote. They're all open to being remote. Okay. So maybe if we focus on the business developer person, what if I said, you know, uh, for the price of $1,500, all you have to do is get on the phone with me for 30 minutes and I will interview you just like this. There's a few key things I need to know about the specific person that's going to you know, be the best for you. And some of it's logistical, like where they live, the time zone, their working habits, their history. And some of it's like specific to what you're trying to do. So I need to understand those things. Once I understand them, I can come back to you in less than three weeks with three video interviews of people that I think would be a great fit for your company. If you don't hire, you get your money back. And if you don't like those three people, we can continue the search for you. Would that be something you'd be willing to pay for? Yes. Okay, that's fun. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. I don't even have to do yeah. anything today. <laughs> yes. So I'll okay, connect you. Dig deeper. What you did there, one, the questioning and the way you did the questioning was phenomenal. Why? Because you were thinking more about what would make the biggest impact in my business to start. You opened me up to sit, talk about that. Maybe you could have gone a little bit more like, why does that make a difference in your business? Like, why would a developer make a difference? Why would the business person make a difference? Like, what about support? Do you guys have around the clock support? Like, you can actually. The way I like to do sales at times is either tell me more about why that's going to be ROI positive for you, or you want to put them on something that they didn't realize is valuable. Like, no, do you guys have around the clock support? Oh, you don't? It sounds like that, you know, the best companies that benchmark for e-commerce have 24-7 support because it reduces returns and then customers get questions and then you can actually use that to sell more. Why is it a challenge to find a deals person? That seems like a, a really fun job that like, a lot of people might have a skill set for. Agree. It's just putting in the time of putting out the job. Hiring people, people. sucks. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's that it's no, no, no. Hiring is the best and the worst thing in the world. It's just like dating for men and women, right? It takes a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. But when you actually find the person, it was so worth it. So worth it. Right. It's like finding the people at the company. Like for me, as much as I love doing, helping small businesses grow, I love the people I get to work with. Yeah. Do you think a half an hour on the phone with me is enough for you to trust that I can actually understand what you need not entirely but i think there's two value props that you can do one the first thing that came to mind was like book in a box what they do is they talk to you for 10 hours and you get a fucking book you get a fucking book that's, that's amazing. fucking bonkers it's 25k so it's not cheap but it's pretty interesting that so i thought that's what i like that you were doing like let me pitch your, your thing easier the one thing i didn't like though is that now you have to go be a fucking recruiter and post the jobs and kiss people's ass and do all this filtering let me pitch like a simpler idea you guys have two things. One, you guys have a brand and, and reach. And then you have some level of expertise in hiring because you've done it in the past. What if your offering was like, hey, no, we charge just 100 bucks a month up front and we interview you 
and we write your job listing for you and we make sure it gets posted everywhere for you. I like that. My only concern with the second one is that I love the idea that you're going to go find the person, but I think you'd have to actually focus on a very specific type of person that you're hiring for. Like, hey, no, we bring you customer support people remotely because that one probably is a lot easier for you guys to get. And then you can specialize in getting them and have like literally like you're an agency, not an agency, but you're like a sports agent. You're like, we have this catalog of all these people that we know we can bring you. And it's not as hard for you to do it versus like different roles are going to be a lot more fucking effort to be like, all right, now we get developer. Let's try something brand new. So let's explore this idea of a little bit. So the idea you put on the table was something like a almost like kind of like a design pickle for job posts. It's like you pay a, a basic low level membership to get access to unlimited job posts with as much reach as possible, essentially, that are effective for your company. One question I have about that is like so many of this reach category is you have to pay for it. So like, for example, if you're like, a lot of our customers say, well, you know, Dynamite Jobs is nice, but it's like not as much reach as like we work remotely yet. So we still want to post that we work remotely. Do you think then like when you like come into our interface, you would have to click like whether or not you want that kind of reach and then we would invoice you for that? That was sort of the, the thing I have a hard time with there. Well, take a step back. So name a client that's used you guys that's paid. Yeah, I think uh, super fat. Oh, I love super fat. You love super fat? I love super fat. I have it in my backpack. What do you think you could go to Mike or David today and be like, hey, here's what we're doing. They're like, oh my God, yes, please do that for me. Because I think the job writing description, you'd have to convince them to, that they need it, which you don't want to do. I have something that uh, yes. David shared with me directly. He spends so much time trying to hire freelancers. And one of the things we found through our surveying is that like so many companies like yours, like half of the work composition is, is done by freelancers. And this idea is like, you're not really trying to, at the end of the day, hire people. What you're trying to do is like pay for productivity. And what he was saying is like, an efficient way to do that is by getting freelancers, but they suck in so many ways. And one of the ways they really, really suck is they often don't do the work themselves. And so you spend all this time filtering for someone that's going to be productive. You ultimately want that productive person to do the work. So what he said to me is, I would be willing to pay for you to like bring me freelancers that are highly qualified for the jobs that I have and that they would know the quality guideline that they couldn't be overbooked and that they would do the work themselves. Let me pitch an idea around here. So I have a list called my designer list, and it's a list that I've built over the past probably 10 years of people that either I have liked their design or I've worked with, and it's just an, it's literally an Evernote file. And so if I ever have a design job or if friends have a design freelance job, these are vetted people that I know. And so I just email out the job to that list. And over time, people are like taking me off the list. Other times people are like, let me add, go on your list. Uh, it's probably like 100 people or so. One consideration I thought was that either A, you guys could vet this people and then I literally could subscribe and send to this list when I have some function and it's something that you already vetted that list that they know they want to get it and that they're generally available for freelance work. Let's say, for example, Noah, if I had a, a thousand of these vetted people in categories that you would know about, so say design is one of them, SEO, development, WordPress, things like this, do you think you would be willing to pay upfront $250 a quarter for unlimited access to pinging that list, assuming they were not only vetted freelancers, but they were available to do the work themselves. So in other words, that list would be dynamic quality. They would check in and check out of the list based on how many projects they currently had going. Yes. I think it depends if I need freelance or if I'm coming to full-time. Like if I want full-time support, which we would need, that's what we just hired for with SendFox. I think with design, yeah, there are more you know contract stuff. I like the idea of having access to it. I think one thing I kept coming back to was Fiverr. Like for me, my book, The Things That Rich People Don't Tell You, the book looks awesome. And literally I paid $70 and it took them like less than two weeks to fully design an ebook, which 
frankly, someone in America would have probably charged me on the range of five to 10,000. So that fucking blew my mind. Yep. Right. The problem is, is that now even on Fiverr, there's a lot of people, but it wasn't that hard to find them. So the question for me is like, what do you provide that that doesn't? And what do you have that, what do you have access to that other people don't? Right. And I think the answer to that is like up the value chain, you know, essentially like things like creating funnels, things like doing copywriting campaigns, things like email marketing. I think it's tougher to go to Fiverr. That's interesting. These are like the functional cores of internet businesses that they're not like these one-off like creative projects or technical projects, like write a script or whatever. It's more like we need you to be a part of this organization. Ongoing? Ongoing. So you guys should get some. I think the problem with businesses, I don't like when a business is like, how do we create a subscription business? Let me figure a way to make 20 bucks a month from someone versus let me go help someone that would be excited to then pay $20 a month. I think the other thing that I've, I like to consider when looking at businesses for ourselves and for others is either A, how the fuck do I get so close to making you more money? It's obvious. Like we had this thing with Sumo pop-ups where people were like, Sumo would, would collect an email and then person would send the email and then they would make money. And they're like, well, I would have collected it either way. It's not really you guys. So I don't want to pay you more money for that because I could use someone else and I can't really attribute it just to you. Right. Versus AppSumo, it's like we brought you that customer, undeniably. My thought for you is with this jobs part, Either A, like I like where you did the email marketing campaigns or Facebook ads or SEO. SEO is a little bit longer term and a little bit more gray. But how do you do things that are directly like, hey, here's a function that your business is probably not doing or not doing well, and it will directly create more money. Or B, here's a role that you now can save significant money on. Right. Like, wouldn't it be amazing? Like, for example, like I think webinars and webinar funnels are a way that a lot of businesses could immediately improve overnight, ours included. But it's a lot of energy to like put that kind of turbocharger onto your business or that artifice onto your business. You got to know someone who can perform. You got to know someone who can write. You got to know someone who understands the technology of the funnel and who understands what to do with those leads. But what if you could just go out and buy it? That'd be rad. Or if you could work on a part-time engagement with someone who can do it for you. I guess I would wonder looking within your business, like what things have you done that have made you guys more money? that then you can go and offer to other businesses like, hey, you guys don't have an online community. Like we will help facilitate your online community. I'm just saying hypothetically, like, or we will help f hire someone who's your event coordinator, hire someone that's your Facebook ad person. I guess I'm, I'm trying to reflect on which thing or which function has made a difference for you guys that you have an understanding of. Because I think there's times in businesses where they go outside of their scope of expertise, which is like, oh, we'll tell you this. It's like, you don't know shit about that. I've been even working 10 years. I'm pretty good at it now. Sure. But if you ask me to do other things, like I'm definitely not be as strong. Yeah. So I'm wondering for you guys, like what do you, you know, podcasting, content creating, community building? Yeah. And from a personnel perspective, it's always been these sort of apprentices, like the, the folks that are willing to work for less than they'd work for in New York City or San Francisco, but they have every bit as much quality as those people do. That's interesting. We literally, like no joke, two weeks ago, just hired, I guess you can call him an apprentice. Okay. In Malaysia. I want his name's Sean. He started with Sumo and he's an apprentice. He's going to learn for the next two years and then he's eventually going to make a lot of good money and he's going to have a, a lot of good expertise, which is just what we did with this guy, Dean, who's amazing as well. Dean spent two years and now he's helping lead marketing. So the apprentice thing, I think I'm wondering how do you position that when you go to the different people in DC because you have access to as well as on your show. Yeah. The apprentice model is tough. I've seen businesses try and fail at it. I think, is it be, fail because they couldn't find them or they don't know what to do with them, him or her? I think it's also what apprentices expect from a founder and from a company is a lot. That's why they're taking a pay cut. Okay, maybe not all. Not always taking a pay cut. I guess my thought there, which is really interesting, is if you came to me and said, Noah, like right now we need an apprentice in content marketing. 
Mm-hmm. There is definitely a world where I can see, hey, Noah, we'll find the person. It's 1500 bucks a month and they'll write two articles and we'll help coach them or we'll vet them to make sure that they're coachable for you guys to then have them as a full-time person in a remote area. And you guys take a cut of that person every month they work with us. You like that? <laughs> I mean, we're paying right now somewhere in the range of $1,000 per article that's written. Huh. Per article, right? That's fucking bonkers. Yeah. And so there's value potentially in that one. I think the problem that I, I face is that if you give me a general person, I don't want to spend all my time trying to teach them. All my time. But there is some balance of a lot of business out there like, hey, I have someone, they've been trained, maybe you guys create a little bit of a coaching program in a specific vertical. Yeah. And then you go to these businesses and say, it's 1500 a month. They're just like hot off the pan. Like this person can do this. And it's 1500 a month and you have a full-time person now and we take 250 a month of that. Right. It's very transparent. Right. I like it. I like that. So if it's 1500 a month and you take 500, just doing the math, then you need 20 people signing up for this? Yeah. I'm trying to think like that sounds like you could find those people relatively easy. You could vet them relatively easier. And then you could find companies. You have a thousand that might need 20 people. And then that would be 10,000 a month. I don't know if that's scaled. I don't know. How long would you personally be willing to pay such a large percentage? In this case, it's 33%, right? So how much would go to the candidate themselves? What's interesting about that, we hired someone and a thousand dollars a month is actually a lot where they live. Yeah. And we were like paying 2000 because they were going through an agency at first. Interesting. I think at the end of the day, you want to pay people really, you want people to be paid well and feel appreciated. Yeah, totally. You guys have the online site where people are posting and some of them are paying you months later and there's percentages. And it, I think that's a common thing in business I've done myself where the next thing is going to be the thing. Yep. It's like entrepreneur fallacy number 64, yep. which is like, oh, I'm going to build this in one next thing. I literally, I just did it this week with SendFox. I was like, this one next feature is really going to f- fucking save it finally. Totally. And it's frankly, it's going back to some of the core principles, experimenting with that before doing a bunch of new things and trying out things. So I guess what I'm curious is in the next four weeks, what are some experiments that you can keep the same system going that maybe you can do or put someone on your team to do that can get you to the $10,000 a month? I guess the way to get to $10,000 a month feels like the product needs to be more differentiated than what normal job boards. It can't be a job board because everybody knows what a job board is and it's just a category of job board. No one has a burning desire to pay a job board. People have a burning desire to have the work done to have people in their office tomorrow. So it feels like we have to move closer to that. <laughs> feels like we have to move closer to that if we want to get to $10,000 faster. It has to be more undeniable. There has to be more velocity to it. I think you guys got velocity of something free, which is great. And then potentially years later, you can monetize that. Yeah. Which is the trajectory you're on, which honestly, it could work totally fine if you're yeah. willing to wait two years. For me, I'd rather have more validation that this is a business that can get to that larger size and it's working now. So my question in the next four weeks is like, what are some activities that we can concretely do? Of all the strategies we talked about today, would there be something that parlays, like one of these strategies to get to $10,000 that also buttresses is in line with the other strategy? What would what would be the, the, the most elegant parlay in other words? Or does that not make a lot of sense? I think sense? that matters. And what I asked you in the pre-chat thing is like, what's your goal this year? Mm-hmm. And generally it needs to be something that's leading to something else right so it should be like hey we want to make this much money or we want to have this many customers or whatever that is and you wanted 500 placements correct but my concern and the reason i've kind of deterred you from that is that even at 500 it doesn't seem like you'll even be cash flow positive and maybe you will or maybe you won't for me i'm like let's see that we know that it will be and then let's scale that thing your goal was what you said earlier is like we want to create a new business line that's not limited at all correct the thing with job boards job boards work they work Otherwise, people wouldn't pay for LinkedIn or Craigslist or Indeed or WeWork Remotely. 
The question I think is, where do you have a job where that you guys can win? And it's not a job board. It's what can you do within helping people accomplish things, which is what ultimately a job is, that you can do uniquely. That's my thought. And you can go to people and be like, yo, here's what we do. That's our thing. And they're like, oh, fuck, I'll give you money for that. I'm pumped. So a few of the things that maybe we can do is number one, I think you need to talk to at least 10 business owners or job deciders Mm -hmm. and go through this different list of things that we've discussed. And we can break down this list and then just be like, yo, which one are you giving me money for today? Okay. And maybe have Alex do it, but I think it would be helpful for you to do it yourself. And maybe you do it on your show. Okay. Number one, talk to like me. I need to go think about what jobs we're hiring for and which one, what I would actually pay you for. Yep. I like the idea of the apprentice thing. I think it's going to be challenging. I think you should try it though. I think it's challenging because people aren't going to know what to do. What do you think about the video interview thing? Does that resonate with you at all? That you video interview them for, them, for me? That Yeah, we interview the people like on interview. All you need to do is look at three videos of the three best candidates. I think that's good, but I don't think that's what you guys are great at. Fair enough. I think you're then a recruiting agency that you're not the best at and you guys are spread around different things. I think what you guys have advantages and you have a network of business owners and a network of freelance remote people. Who can do like, like important things for businesses essentially. Or connect those people, right? Like, hey, if you're a freelancer looking for more money, we help you get more money by connecting you with these businesses. Right. I mean, I guess that's part of why you're in the DC, right? You pay for that access to connect these other people. Correct. But that's more of at a friendship level. It's not really at a productivity level. And that's part of the reason I don't want to scale that is because I want to be like ruthlessly focused on results and profit for these sorts of connections. That's why I really like the freelancer connections. You know, it's like you need somebody who can like do this like highly complex systemic work in your business on a regular basis. Like I can, we got them right here. I think what's interesting about that is that if you can go, you want to go to the people who have the money. You know, when people ask chicken and egg, I'm like, the ones who have the money is the chicken. (laughs) (laughs) They're the ones that matter, right? And what I was thinking is figuring out what things could you go to them and be like, hey, you're probably not doing this and you should do it. And I have the, I have a list of people that can do it for you. I was asking one of the guys on my team, on our team, the team to help with some Instagram stuff. It's like, I would probably pay a few hundred bucks a month for someone to do that for me so I don't have to do it. Okay. So how about I do this? How about I take a look at our freelancer database? Oh, I like that. They're highly qualified. They can make money for companies. And I figure out two or three ways that I really think specifically yeah. about that. And I go to the freelancers and I, I set the terms. And I say, are you willing to do these sorts of projects for these sorts of companies? Make sure they know the rules. You got to deliver on your own terms. We're going to hold you accountable in these ways. We're going to review your work after it's done. If you guys agree to this, I'm going to go sell this stuff to, to my people because I know that they can benefit from it. I think that's a great one. The more specific you are, the easier it will be for you to sell. So if you came to me and said, hey, no, I will have someone write your a daily LinkedIn post for you because LinkedIn is a great way for you to get more leads. Now we're talking. And then you have a people who are great writers that already know have templates and shit like that that can like take stuff that I'm doing. Number two, like a Quora person. Hey, Noah, I will find writers on Quora. Number three, like an Instagram creative. We pay someone that helps me put together my Instagram and shit. Four, I have someone that does like podcast stuff. Every episode, they have to listen to it, write it up, put a picture, all the shit. Potentially, that could be a package, right? So I'm wondering, if figuring out which of those verticals, or maybe it's a few different options, that you go to people like David from Superfat or myself and other people in your community that you have access to that also have money, yeah. and then you offer them specific types of tasks. And I like the idea that it's stuff that's ongoing, where you're like, hey, we helped you find the person. You're paying just through us. You don't have to worry about it. And if this person ever goes away, we put it back in the community and you get someone else. So you wouldn't want to have access to paying that person directly. You'd prefer to... Because um, this is one of the biggest complaints people have about other freelancer websites like Upwork. 
is that they insist on managing the relationship, especially as it scales. Like, if say if that person's good, you might want to hire them or you might want to evolve their role. No, and I think that's what you prefer in a company. I think what, what I thought about is like Uber. It's like, I don't really care who the driver is. I just want to get to my destination. But that's a different type of task than someone who I want to build in a company where generally you want to build that person up where they have knowledge that they can help grow your business and hopefully they grow themselves. Right, that would work if we, if we for example, like, just focus on Instagram, I think it could be more of what the former. Whereas if we're going to do like funnels and stuff like that, it would have to be, I think like as an entrepreneur, I would want to own that relationship eventually, I think. Let's reverse it. What would you pay for yourself right now? Like what is something that you need in the DC or in Dynamite Circle, in Tropical Columbia or Dynamite Circle? Like for instance, I noticed your business partner, Ian, spending a lot of time on WordPress. <laughs> it would just seem like a fucking huge waste of time. Yeah. What is something that specifically like with Instagram? Because sometimes I think with social media shit, it's not directly ROI tracked. So people aren't as excited to pay for it. I'm like, oh, I'll post on Instagram for you. I'm like, well, I don't know if I make fucking money on that. That's true. Like what job would make the biggest impact in your business right now? I know one, but I want you to say if you say one. Yeah, I would actually be curious to hear what you'd say. Sales sponsorship full time. How much of a difference does that make in your business? It depends how much we pay them. Don't worry about how much you pay them. How much could they generate? Like, how much does it generally cost per episode to sponsor? 1000 1000 And it's 4000 a month? Yeah. Do you guys have room for double the amount of advertising? Not yet. But we could double it. So if I could come and bring you $10,000 a month in sponsorship, would that make a difference for your business? Yeah. Instead of 4000 I'd do in 10? Yeah. And so do you have a full-time person doing that? No. If, say, I pay the person 4000 they come in, they sell double, then we're at where we're at. Well, if they come in at four and they're selling 10, you're making six. Fair. Versus the four you're making, which is just inbound right now, right? Yeah, if that person existed, it would be interesting for sure. I think that's what you did earlier, which is good. And I think it's thinking about in our own business what we need, solving it for ourselves and being like, oh shit, I could give this to other people. Well, so there's a couple of issues there. It's like one of the things I thought about <laughs> earlier is like, I don't want to sell stuff in my business. Like, I feel like what we're doing, well, our strategy with ad sales is to like make it more of a product that's undeniable, not that you have to like, man, we, we've hired salespeople this past year. I don't trust it, Noah. That's my problem. I don't trust that salesperson because you have people like drag stuff home as a salesperson that like doesn't fit the product vision of like what sponsoring our podcast is all about and, and those sorts of things. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, like there is a theoretical person that could like pay for themselves just like selling our wares, but I'm not sure I want to I want to work with that person or that's the product that I want to build. What else could make a difference in your podcast for the business? What type of function? Getting you on other shows? Yeah, that's a good one. So if you were getting featured on No Kagan Presents podcast. Yeah. And someone for- No one ever features me on their podcast. It's <sighs> unbelievable. Oy vey, oy vey. And now everybody knows why. <laughs> I think the first part of the show was good. I think the second part of the show, the show was awesome. What? Yeah. I think the first part was good. This is great. Why? Because I think you're diving into things that you've thought about, but you, we haven't really, you guys haven't really solved. And I sure. think you're trying to figure out how to solve them. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, including myself. Well, I hope people will love the ambiguity. Here's maybe like my meta commentary is like, what you're coming in and doing is, is like, I'm kind of like, oh, no, like this is complex. There's so much backstory, blah, blah, blah. Like we were trying to do this. <laughs> and like what your approach, the elegance of it is the elegance, it's, it's the simplicity of how about you just make money because you're a business person and like all the things that you're trying to solve for follow from simplicity of the nexus of like the undeniable offer that someone really believes in and wants, you know, and now all of a sudden the scale question is easier to answer because you can immediately look at the cash flow and ask if it scales. You can, you know what I mean? Like all the kind of shit I'm trying to solve for is, is, is too cute, you know? I like to personally in business solve for myself. If I fucking love it, 
it's not selling. It's like educating other people that if I think they're the right person, they need what we're doing. Like we're working on some new things at Sumo, where if I find someone that's working on Shopify in a certain type of business, I'm like, you have to have this. Like you are doing yourself a disadvantage and here's how much more you're going to make and here's how much less it's going to cost you and it's a no-brainer. And so I think other people in businesses have to get to that level. So I, I thought with the podcast one, that's interesting that you said, oh yeah, I'd love to be on other shows if they're quality and of size. Yeah, I mean, I think it would work whether or not I'd love to go on the shows. I think the problem for- There's yeah. problems with everything. I, uh, one thing I've always said is that every restaurant has another restaurant similar to it. How many ramen places now are there in Barcelona? Yeah. There's a fucking shit ton. I can't believe how many ramen places are. But guess what? I'm guessing a good amount of them are still profitable and successful. And so I like to just think that there's other people already doing most things. So try to find your own niche of ramen. Like we're the spicy ramen place or we're the low sodium ramen or we're the most expensive ramen because our noodles are virgin, whatever. Yeah. And so coming back to yourselves and, and job thing. So I honestly would like for you to go and talk to at least 10 people in the next four weeks mm -hmm. and solve some specific paid job function for them. Okay. I would recommend like some of the ones where you're like, we'll go and vet and do all this shit for you. I think that's ultimate, right? That's the dream. You just, hey, no, you need a Facebook ad person. You know, I got that for you. My thought with it is find the role around that that's easy for you guys to accomplish versus you having to go out and really struggle to find that person. So my first step then will be to take a look at our inventory of, of freelance candidates or part-time candidates like, and try to figure out specifically what they can do that, that's valuable to a small business, internet business and try to productize that and then turn around and sell it to those 10 people. Yes. To be clear, I think it's go to the people with money, <laughs> Yep. take their money and give them something that's more valuable than that money and helping them accomplish something in their business. I think what's helpful that you said there that I want to highlight is that I think it's hard when people go to others and be like, hey, are you hiring? How can I help you with it? It's like, well, fuck, I don't know. Like, I've got a lot of things going on. I've got my woman, I've got my work, I've got my... So I li I personally like when someone comes to me and is like, hey, I think this is a problem you might have and here's I have a solution for so it. There's a solution. Exactly. I agree. Isn't it interesting how we've been doing business for like 15, 20 years or whatever and we come back and it's like, it's the basics. I know. Hey, Dan, how about you go do something that makes money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what I didn't get about your job thing. And I've talked to Ian for months about it. I'm, Ian is such a stickler with money. Right, let's talk, we can talk about that. That's a whole episode. A whole episode. And I, and I love Ian. You know, he's one of our closest friends. And he's your closest, one of my closest. And I think what's been missing for me is that it's not been a business. It's not. You know, Ian like all, is all about the deals and profit and stuff. So I think just how do you get to that sooner and then scale that level up versus you guys are still tinkering with it along the way to hopefully get to it. Agreed. So you'll talk to 10 people. Yes. And try to sell them something related to a job function. I frankly think within 30 days, I would be surprised if you weren't able to do more than a 3,000 just from, it, from manual stuff. Either you and or I think Alex is one of the team leads on this. Yes. I think you guys each could talk to 10 people, pitch 10 different things, 10 different companies, and have something through that that's maybe even $10,000. All right. I think I can get started. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Dan Andrews, Tropical MBA, Dynamite Circle. Dynamite Jobs. Dynamite Jobs. <laughs> if it hasn't been mentioned enough. Cat Podiums. Yeah. Valet Stands. All right. Bicycling. Yeah, why don't we just start a bicycling company and call it a day? Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, go check out Dan Andrews at the Tropical MBA podcast and their online community, dynamitecircle.com. If you want to look for a job or hiring people, their job board, which we talked about today, is dynamitejobs.co. Also, go follow my great, great buddy, Ian Schoen, at twitter.com slash anything Ian. He is one of the greatest people I know on earth. Go check him out. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go bike ride tandem together.
Before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode or if you have any questions by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I check it every Tuesday. Quick outro plug. Also, remember to go check out athleticbrewing.com. Code NOAH should work for 10% off. Enjoy it after a bike ride or after gorging on tacos. It is a tasty, non-alcoholic free beer. Finally, a special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com. As always, for making these podcasts sound so nice and clean on your eardrums. That's his uh, British accent. Also, thanks to Sean, David, and Dean at the Dork Team. And also a special shout out to Rachel at Sumo this week for just being you. What's your favorite basketball team?